practice. There's a new day, new opportunity to uh, align our day with the cultivation of path factors to help generate the fruits, plant the seeds to generate the fruits of the practice. This establishing of mindfulness, this translation of the word sati, which has an idea of remembering, to regather, to reconnect, to align with that which even has at a subtle level the capacity to remember, this fundamental awareness of the heart. And bringing that into play. Kirisara mentioned this morning when he gave a introduction, a beautiful introduction into the Kuan Yin Dharmas at the, before the chanting and the recitation and the, the efficacy of the Great Compassion Mantra that uh, we take this heart, this conscious awareness as unreal and what we take as, as, as more real is the passing phenomena of our mental, emotional, habitual activity, what's seen, thought, felt, touched, tasted, smelt, heard. But the ground that enables us to recognize even what is happening, the ground of the heart, we don't actually acknowledge as having reality, and yet, in truth, it's the ground of all that is real, from which all emerges and into which all dissolves. So recognizing this conscious awareness as we align with the practice of mindful contemplation. Often the sati is married with the term sampajanya, sati sampajanya, which sampajanya sometimes translated as wise reflection. So these two are connected. That in, innate within being mindful, there's already wisdom operating. Innate within wise reflection, there's a attentiveness, mindful attention, an inquiry to what is. So, for example, it's a bit like you driving a car. If you're just mindful, you're very, very attentive, very attentive, I can feel my sensation on the hands on the wheel, sitting in the seat. But that mindfulness starts to exclude the global awareness of what's around you. Then you can be very mindful and still crash the car. Oh, but I was so mindful. Or as... I remember hearing in South Africa someone that overtook a car and had a crash. He was talking about he was very mindful of the of the lines on the road, but he what he wasn't mindful of and that he could cross, he could move out, but what he wasn't mindful of was that he was moving out into a curve. So this uh, global awareness and mindfulness informed by wise consideration, what's the context internally and externally? as information to help adjust 
our mindful relationship to what is. Mindful too, as we've been starting, to body and breath. It's where the Buddha begins. That which is with us all the time. That we're, that we're awake in our waking life. Establishing this mindful attention. Sometimes it's translated in the suttas in front of us, which is a, stra- a strange translation, but it means really as a priority. We make that as primary. Usually we make the pressing narratives that are internal narratives that need attending to as, as primary, but making primary our intention to keep returning to aware, embodied awareness. How is it now? How is the body now? So we don't just sort of slap on top of what's happening this technique, you know, just start doing some technique without really considering how, what's the context? How does the body feel? What's the mood like? What's, what adjustments need to be made? Are you feeling upset? Do you need to soften and have some kindness? Are you feeling distracted? Do you need to actually increase the energy, be a bit more focused? Are you feeling dull and sleepy and just wandering off? Do you, do you perhaps need just to open your eyes and straighten your spine a little? Are you feeling tight and uptight? You need to soften on the outbreath, soften the belly, soften the jaw. So the mindfulness is informing adjustment, adjusting. Placing that as priority, adjusting and being with breathing as we've been reflecting the, the long breath, the short breath, following the whole of the breath. The short breath sometimes just the attention rests at a place within the breath body. All that is moving, the wayo datu, the movement element, is all breath body, vibrational field. It's all connected with the air element. So maybe the attention rests part of the breath body, the actual subtle sensation of breath in a particular area of the body or just a sensation. You could call that the short breath. And you can move between the two, adjusting. Mind's quite calm and it tends to go, you just don't need to follow the whole pathway of the breath. Or maybe there's more distraction and agitation You can follow the whole pathway of the breath, even deepen deliberately some of the inhalations. So you feel the breath in the body. That is quite advisable to do when you're starting a sitting practice, taking some deep, slow, deliberate breaths. Filling the body with uh, breath energy. Breathing, and then as the training goes, experiencing the whole body and calming, soothing. This practice soothing, calming the mental, emotional, and physical body. It's one of the fruits of just applying this presence to how it is. 
just necessary, as said in the sutta, just bear attention enough, necessary to know here is a body, this is a body. You don't even have to go my body. That gets a bit complicated. This is a body breathing. And as it continues with the contemplation of not clinging to anything in the world, each out-breath, this patinisaga term that Kirisara used, giving back, the out-breath is leading us. It's release, let go. In-breath, out-breath. And Kirisara is naming some of the supports for this practice. This quality of attention that's both directing, using a thought to direct attention here, now, Buddha, let go. And also the um, receptive, which is once we've brought attention, receiving how it is, what's felt, what's experienced, receiving the body in particular. In the ease, relaxing, Softening the muscles, softening the belly, softening the shoulders, softening the palms of the hands, the soles of the feet. And then connecting with the savoring of what is felt, even if it appears as first as an unpleasant sensation, but suffusing the body with awareness. One can savor sensation, feeling, is the ground for this pity or the arising of pleasure, fullness, completeness. And learning when the when the thoughts are complex, busy, Patterns we start to, as we start to practice uh, more deeply in a retreat, we start to notice some of the deeper narratives that flood us. And some of them are very undermining and sabotaging, upsetting, connected with difficult feelings. So what we're doing in part is learning to go beneath that cognitive realm to what's felt, to stop going around and around in the thinking process. So just this training of attention to help us do this, using a thought, taking it from where it's stuck, where we're stuck in thoughts that are like a like the mind's energy going down sometimes like where we are in South Africa or here, when there's a big rainstorm, the rain will go down the mountain and start to create a groove into the land. It's called a donga. And we have the dongas of the mind. That certain The mind's energy will go down these pathways 
And they're often connected with primary wounds, what, what's hurt us. Uh, the messaging that we got, unskillful messaging about who we are, generating a lot of you know, um, affect in the emotional experience. So to be able to move the attention from those dongas to the training to what is wholesome. One breath. I was saying like even counting those breaths on your fingers so that there's a, a practice that you can, five breaths, break the pattern. Five breaths, breathing in. Breathing out, one breath. Breathing in and breathing out. And so on, five breaths, and increase the breath to help. It's just these adjustments to shift out of the pull of a vortex of the thinking mind. Or you can consider, you know, you've been down this pathway how many times? And where does it lead? And you say, well, it doesn't really lead to happiness, to well-being, to resolution. Generates more feeling of negativity or resentment, fear, anxiety. So we don't want to, you know, when there's mindfulness, there's choice to move from that by understanding the consequences of where we're dwelling and placing attention with that which is wholesome. Or the Buddha said, if those those two don't work, just moving to the wholesome, contemplating the outcome of the unwholesome. He said, just that the the pattern is going, it's got too much energy in it. Because we've invested energy over a long time. He said, just don't give it attention. You can't stop it. So it's just whirring away. But sort of like carve out in, in the midst of that mindfulness of body and breath. And you get pulled and you just keep coming back. But you're not, what's happening, you're not adding energy to it. Or even uh, some inquiry. See, just to think, who's thinking this? It's so much me and my story and my issue and my agenda. It's not even questioned. And so who who does this really belong to here? So there's strategies. It's not just like cling on to the breath and hold on like a snapping turtle and hope magically something will kind of explode apart. And then there'll be bliss. This is a practice like, you know, the Buddha talks about these images like honing wood or as a craftsperson you know, creating skill, working with the mind, it's a bit like that, you're working, the skillful me, what works, what adjustments, what, some of them are quite subtle, but they're quite powerful, opening the eyes when you're caught up in some story that's so flooded you, you don't even know you're sitting in a, shri- in, in a meditation room, it's spirit rock, you're in some other place, some mind realm, 
but more powerful when we're dealing with particularly obsessive cognitive processes that there's a lot of what can come up for us when they're connected with wounding, early patterning, deeply learnt emotional shaping of the shapes the sense of self. Um, is to actually go, this is where the, the meditation on body, to go beneath the cognitive. Yes, that's happening. What's felt in the body in this dynamic? Because what is felt is very powerful for us. And the Buddha in the second foundation talks a lot about, actually he doesn't talk a lot, it's very, very succinct. <laughs> Just know the feeling in the feeling. It's very simple, actually. Feeling isn't so simple. It's very activating, especially when it goes into a full-blown emotional experience and colors the mind and triggers deeper issues, learnt emotions that sabotage, diminish the sense of well-being. The Buddha just said this to know the feeling in the feeling. There's just feeling here. We can go into the story, look at the content. That is one journey. But for this practice right now, we're looking at the construct. Is it, and he just, is it painful? Is it painful? No. Is it unpleasant, pleasant, or neutral? So you can bring awareness to what's felt in the body, particularly, say, in the core of the body, the trunk of the body, sometimes called the felt sense area. And just note, without going into the story of why am I feeling this, where does it come from, what am I going to do about it, you say, is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? You just say it's 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 painful feeling. You might even have a word, it's sadness, it's irritation, it's grief, it's you know, you might have a word, but even before the word, you can just say it is just feeling. And what is so powerful is as we understand bringing mindful attention, that mindful attention is connected with the intelligence, the deep, deep and profound intelligence of the jitta, of the fundamental nature of the heart, which is awareness, intelligent knowing. And when that comes into play in relationship to whatever attention is brought to, there is a transmutation, there is an alchemical affect that is quickened. And the fundamental nature of that intelligence is to heal and to realign and to correct what has been out of alignment, what is constricted, what is repressed, what is held down. So the very simple activity in our practice today as we start to bring attention feel into the body, the breath, stabilize, noticing what are we working with, how is it? Mind states, feeling tones, body experience, that the power of awareness in and of itself that is amplified as we hold attention within our embodied experience becomes more potent 
and particularly when it's brought to the, the Vedana, the feeling experience, it actually transmutes the energetics of the body, of the heart and of the mind, realigns, reconfigures. And this is really one of the powers of, of the practice of samadhi, of gatheredness, of, of mindful attention. It's not you doing it from the place that we do stuff from. It's an innate aspect of the dynamic aspect of wise reflection, of awareness. So wherever we are today, whatever is unfolding for us, some may be very peaceful, very light, and that can change, can crash. Some may be some very what's sankara and patternings that are coming up that are quite challenging, very familiar, very old, very persistent. Some of the different hindrances are coming. Whatever it is, whatever, it's all part of our practice. There's nothing outside the practice. It's not, it can be the most horrific devilish kind of state that we're with. You think, oh, I'm not a spiritual person. You know, as, as is said, that this is, uh, I think again by Einstein, but I'm a bit nervous to quote, but, <laughs> you know, that this is awakening, is not about imagining figurines, idealizing the figurines of the, of the, of the light, but actually illuminating what's in the shadow. So we're illuminating what is yet unhealed, what is yet stuck, what is yet to be released. That is patient, swopaha, shwaha. Yes, it's like this, but also that it's like this, needing a lot of patience, kindness, softening, allowing, returning again and again to how it is moment by moment, this is the application of the path and it will bear fruit. So finding a posture you feel comfortable in. Adjusting if you need to. You can always adjust the posture. You're not stuck, you know, pinned down. Just feel like you have that agency to move and adjust. So maintain a sense of well-being, comfort, support. You might want to begin by just 
taking a few slow and deepening breaths. So you really feel the breath energy suffusing through the whole body. Right down into the belly, to the soles of the feet, palms of the hands, up into the brain. You might even feel the tingling of that inhalation, full inhalation. And as you exhale, that softening through the jaw, the shoulders, the belly, palms of the hands, down to the soles of the feet, to letting the ground support. Establishing mindful awareness. How is it now? What what are you present with? In the body, in the heart, in the feeling tones, mental activity, just noticing what's here first. Maybe inquiring what's needed, what would be supportive, maybe some subtle adjustment, some attitude, a bit more energy, a bit more softening, some sense of kindness and openness, softness, or maybe something more yang, more focused, more deliberate. Just getting a feeling of what would be need, what is needed as you begin to move into a, a, a practice with how it is, what's, what you're experiencing. You can ask that throughout the day from time to time. What is needed here? So you don't need too much effort, you don't need abdication of any intention to be present and just wafting off. So just feeling into a sense of that balanced, a balance, 
just enough presence to feel and be continuing with the body breath. So there's a relaxed ease as well as a, an interest. You might just find an area, if you're following the breath, or you might find an area where the attention settles if there is a lot of intense feeling tone and that's uncomfortable to be with. You can go to the edges of it or to a more neutral part of the body. You can move in and out of what is felt. The core of what is felt can be sometimes very intense. Stay there for a while, and then you can move out, say, to the sensation in the palms or the feet or the pressure of the sitting. So there's agency, there's choice, there's movement, the feeling of being not being just stuck to painful feeling, being able to work in and out of it. Also mention if you're very distracted, restless or dull. You can also just take up that practice of just five mindful breaths. Touch your fingertips as you go through each breath. Giving yourself a small goal. The mind likes that, actually. Likes to have something to aim for and to succeed at. And start again. Just in a soft way, not in an obsessive, willful way. Just in a more playful way. So these are just adjustments for you to explore. As you primarily are rooted in the ground of the heart. Awareness within body, body within awareness. Body, mind and heart.
So it's a time if there's any questions about... Yes. Well, I think that's a very good question. Um, the uh, question is that um, that uh, you had uh, very um, violent nightmares, and how to use the practice um, in response to the terror f- from the outside. What's happening in the outside world? Of course, the outside and the inside are so porous. And um, <clears throat> what we're doing here right now is um, creating a sanctuary so that one can. Um, gather some capacity to meet the outside world. Um, and, you know, what the outside world is, is, you know, it's um, very impingeful and impactful, um, and it's very real um, in its affect and, and, and has very um, real consequences. Um, but right now, on an internal level, we're looking at what world is, you know, how it's generated through perception and memory and feeling. Um, and the best ab- ability to, yes, there's an affect from the impingement from the world and what that triggers for us historically, ancestrally, collectively. These are very real um, energetic experiences that are lived within our body so we can get triggered by something that can ripple into some very deep um, material that gets activated and is felt as, as terror, as overwhelm. Um, so what we're learning right now is to cultivate the capacity to meet that, you know, cultivate capacity, whether it, it is something that triggers and generates this overwhelm and it comes through our dream consciousness um, and has an affect from that, uh, are actually also preparing, like Ajahn Chah would say, practice is preparation for when the real challenges hit, you know, for when we meet, you know, a world in crisis, you know, it's a profound crisis, and all the affects of that. And, you know, just what we've been doing is really um, the skillful means to cultivate that capacity. And, you know, to actually keep going to the world and the problems in it is a bit like taking the tongue to the, the tooth. It sort of that's painful. It exacerbates the pain. Um, you know, we're trying to go to the dentist and figure out how to remedy the tooth internally first, so that one can recognize how to work and withstand. I mean, some of the samadhi practice, the Buddha said that you actually won't be able to cultivate samadhi unless you're able to withstand the impingement of the senses. So there's a certain withstanding of what is unpleasant, you know, that um, is implied in this practice. And so cultivating steadiness, mindfulness, samadhi, wise reflection, that mind, when that's brought to the world, is going to be much more effective, much more able to negotiate what is happening than a mind that's fractured and caught up in the reactivity around what we're experiencing. So I think really you just keep going, 
and trust what you're doing. It doesn't seem very dramatic. It's more dramatic when we go out on the front lines and get on the streets, you know. But it's, it is also, this is working at a deeper level of consciousness, which also affects profound changes and where change ultimately really also happens. You know, so that to trust that this is enough at, at right now is where you've been bought. And also for those that are very involved in the world and what's happening, and it's all of us to some degree or another, to realize we also need to recoup. We need um, permission to say it's okay. You know, like if you're a general, you don't always have your troops on the front lines. Sometimes you have to retreat, and it's very smart to retreat. And to re- so you recoup, regather, re-strengthen, heal, rest. You know, otherwise one's always in a hyperactivated state, you know, and pulled out of the parasympathetic nervous system. You're always sort of in this activity reactive mode and you can't rest, digest, settle. So I know a lot of you and all of you in some way or another, uh, you know, it's very challenging times. We're all impacted, but... I think, and, and it does come through our dreams. Uh, it comes through what we feel. It comes through the body. The body's an earth body. It's feeling what's happening at very deep levels. So it's felt as feeling. And, then, and also as the teachings help us not to overly personalize everything. You know, this is, um, this is a collective affect. And then we go, it's all me. It's not actually. A lot of it's what's happening. We're wired into a systems. We're wired into a web of life. And this is a very sensitive body and attuned to all of that. So, you know, the the best place of rest is, you know, the only place really to come to is mindfulness. Mindful, mindful uh, refuge, mindful cultivation of mindful rise reflection, cultivation of samadhi and steadiness, allowing the processes that are going through the body, mind and heart that are painful to be digested and um, metabolize, I think Kilisar used that word, samadhi is a metabolization of the dukkha. So trust it, just as it takes a bit of time and patience, but it's effective. Yes? Have you personally experienced samadhi or enlightenment? Have I personally experienced samadhi or enlightenment? I've given up on enlightenment. No, I'm joking, <laughs> partly joking. It's the word, it's the word. I think it's kind of very, um, you know, what do you mean? What do we mean by that word? Um, we've all experienced some samadhi. Also, what, what's meant by that? I know in some traditions, in some ways it's held, it's meant as sort of a, in a very deep, um, you know, unmoving um, state, you know, that you sort of read about the saints that would sit there and not move for... 10 days or something. So there's a ways of talking about samadhi that can make it completely unreachable for us. But uh, um, Arjun Chara, our teacher, who, um, he said, really, you know, for this practice of awakening, you need enough samadhi, the, the kind of, um, you need as much samadhi as you would need to read a book. You're reading the book of your heart. So enough gatheredness, you have enough gatheredness, the practice starts. And as the practice starts, the, metapol- and the digestion and the, um, of the dukkha and everything that we've just talked about, the samadhi increases, the gatheredness increases and deepens. So yeah, we've all experienced some level of samadhi. Um, we've all experienced some level of awakenings. You know, in the, in the Theravada map and then in the Mahayana map, 
there's different, you can experience profound awakening, what's called stream entry, which is the taste of the unconstructed dhamma, the ammata dharma, the deathless dharma. That's very realizable as a direct, immediate taste of the immove, unmoving peace. But that doesn't mean to say you're finished. And there's a real confusion around that, you know, that there's still, that's called one first level of awakening. And then there's still greed and delusion that's operating. The hindrances are operating. And then as that deepens and the hindrances lessen and are purified uh, all the way to what's called arahat, arahant, then there's a very subtle level of hindrance, a subtle restlessness, subtle sense of self-conceit that still needs to be purified, subtle ignorance. And then in the Mahayana, there's this, you know, in some ways that's the end, but it's also another beginning. There's the Bodhisattva, the Bodhicitta, there's the taking that and, and being a Bodhi, awakened being, Bodhisattva in the world. So there's these different um, ways of placing an awake, the awakening process that enables us to... Um, be more realistic and manageable as to what it actually means and what the subtleties are in it, not just like one blowout enlightenment experience and it's done. Because you know, that's what sometimes happens. People have those experiences and then they put their flag up and then realize down the road that there were lots of undigested shadow issues that come into play and get actually intensified and projected. And then we have the sort of fallen guru syndrome, which we know so well. Um, so it's partly because we we didn't understand the actual process of awakening is a process. There is the momentary, like Zen thing, but it's also a process. Because enlightenment, awakening is always here and now, so it's, you're not going to get it and attain it. It's nothing to attain, it's to recognize. But then there's still a process of deepening and stabilizing that recognition. And then the subtle purification and transformation of the hindrance. Yes, sir. I find that there's a um, kind of an irony um, or paradox that's involved in the word mindfulness. Um, I'll give you a specific example. Like I noticed that there are times, like as a psychotherapist, where I've experienced being present with a client, and there isn't any need. Yes. There's just this experience. Yeah. That, um, Yeah. with whatever it is that arises that I'm not thinking about or planning or problem solving. So the irony for me is that there are times when I find myself in a flow, like it's a flow state. Yes. Where there isn't a personal self that's observing or yes. you know, being with. But yes. it's extremely pleasant yeah. to be in that. Yeah, no, thank you. It's, uh, it's a great question again as well. It's, um, you know, Ajahn Chah talked about, um, I sort of refer, we refer a lot to him because probably in my life he was one of the um, most awakened beings I've met. And I, I can't assume where he was at. Like he, he would say it takes one to know one. That's why I can't assume where he was at. But... <laughs> um, so, but he he would sort of, you know, again, the trajectory of, of the awakening process, you know, he talked about the Dharma, you know, first we hear about the Dharma, 
then we learn a bit about the Dharma, then we study the Dharma, then we practice the Dharma. But then there is being Dharma, being Dharma, you know, where that sense of me doing it and it's happening and um, me even being mindfulness, it all starts to um, collapse into the actuality of what you call the flow. And one is just being Dharma, you know, the Dharma's happening. It's not self, it's not other. There's a dynamic happening. And that is also not to put that on a big pedestal. I mean, he said it's something not so easy to attain. I think in the way he was understanding it in, again, a more embodied and ongoing way. But we have moments when we experience that of anatta, of, of the dropping of the self. And then you just experience it as flow and the Dhamma is the, the, you know, in a way you could say, um, you know, I had that same feeling once I, when I worked at one point, I don't anymore as a, as a therapist, and I had the feeling of one, one session, I was like, oh, it's Kuan Yin, attending to Kuan Yin, and Kuan Yin is sorting it out. You know, it wasn't me or the client, it was just a process. And that, that, that is, is very, it's, not, it's pleasurable, but it's also very revelatory, and transformative and dynamic and that is you know that is part of an experience of awakening you know it's not the awakening in big capitals but it is when we experience the dropping of the of the objectifying mind and it is deeply satisfying because it's like home base you know so it's important and just finish here it's like you know that we're talking about enlightenment and awakening it's not to make it such a sort of impossible projection of the mind, but to notice it as it's being experienced. We notice dukkha. You know, another way that the Buddha talked about awakening is moments of non-suffering, non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion, you know, just presence. And we actually have those moments every day. We just don't, oh, it's boring. <laughs> I'm not in a state of great kind of, you know, some massive crisis. You know, that's life when I'm juggling with it all. And, you know, it's like my, you know, the peace. It's like, oh, there's nothing here. You know, it's because we haven't paid attention. So learning to pay attention to, and we'll explore this as we go on. As as uh, our Western teacher, Ajahn Sumedho, said, you know, in London they have the, the underground, like the subway here or the bar. And when you step off, they go, mind the gap, mind the gap. So he, that was his thing, mind the gap. You know, there's gaps, you know, when the self isn't operating. It's just you're there, you're walking, nature's breath. It's just happening, you know, and it's just seeing, it's hearing, it's direct experience. And that, you know, we just don't, that happens every day. We're just not really noticing it as something. So attuning to that too, as we practice today, attuning to the moments when, when actually it's okay. Maybe it's not profound earth-shaking enlightenment like the Zen stories, but it's okay. You know, relax, it's okay. You know, it's a peace. It's not, it's, you know, there's a sense of contentment, a sense of connection. So we're, we're learning to track into this deeper abiding in the ground of the heart. 10 o'clock. Okay, so not to forget that those, uh, some of you are continuing with our check-in groups, so check the board and make sure you're signed up. Or if, uh, no, not make sure, if you are signed up, make sure you get to the uh, groups. Thank you so much.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.